Like the almighty deity I instantly embraced. The moment my new lord and savior temporarily muted my mouthy assistant. On the third day, I rose again. Peeling off the warm comforter and rising from sheets that had seen more action in recent days than they probably had in a century. I suppose it's inevitable when two people with minor injuries are stuck together in a small room uh, with only their sexual attraction and ever-growing resentment between them. For two days, Carla and I have adopted the routine of an octogenarian couple shuffling around each other in our box, dodging the incoming moans and groans attributed to each other's aches and pains. There's also been a fair amount of screwing and napping I drink most meals, and now that's something we have in common. Once a day, Lola sends up a burger plate or some fried whatever from downstairs. I assume because she also sees how much alcohol makes its way upstairs to me by way of local delivery. Carla's been reduced to sucking what amounts to baby food from a straw, mostly milkshakes and yogurt-based smoothies. Because I'm a gentleman, I won't discuss the havoc. That much dairy reeks upon the gut of a woman I now suspect is lactose intolerant. It's a small room. The Dex Morneau series by Jenny Decker. Narrated by Greg Kreitz and Jenny Decker. Music by Blue Dot Sessions. I should get you up to speed before we go about our day. I suspect it will be an interesting one, given we're scheduled to meet with a Michigan State Police detective that Carla managed to alienate with a single phone conversation. I'm currently unable to see because I got in the way of a bomb that went off in Carla's bathroom back in Detroit. I don't know, a couple weeks ago now. The only thing we know about that bomb is that it's likely connected to a building Carla purchased in Reed City, Michigan. Which brings us to the bomb in the Osceola Hotel, the recently acquired building in question. Someone doesn't want Carla to have that hotel. That's why we're supposed to be here, to find out who that someone is. Carla's trussed up, facially speaking, because among a lot of other crap that's happened recently, she was lured to the hotel by an anonymous phone call, attacked when she arrived, and at some point thereafter, a bomb was detonated in one of the empty rooms. If you're keeping track, that's two different bombs, two different cities, one Carla Danning. So, Carla ends up in the emergency room and I miss my follow-up eye surgery in Detroit because I'm standing at her bedside, shamefully tormenting her while she's in her disabled state. Carla's mouth is wired shut because the anonymous bomber popped her in the jaw, rendering her incapacitated. Then he wrapped her in duct tape and shoved her into the hotel dumbwaiter. Call me old-fashioned, but I find that rather unmannerly. Carla managed via a flurry of hastily pecked text messages from her hospital bed to strong-arm my doctor in Detroit into recommending someone in Reed City for my immediate follow-up procedure. Have I mentioned that was two days before Christmas? I'm unable to see all the twinkly lights and tacky holiday sweaters, so I keep forgetting we're supposed to be joyful. 
That brings us to today, Christmas Day, the day our presence has been formally requested by one Detective Price, the state police detective that Carla thoroughly pissed off. I'm fairly certain the man isn't Jewish, so the timing of this meeting troubles me. You'd think he'd have better things to do, like sucking down Nog or Euling, a Tide or whatnot. Either way, I don't like it. Except the part about Carla's jaw being wired shut. That has streamlined our communication process. I'm able to ignore her more easily since all she can do is grunt and groan. Yeah, she can speak, sort of. If by speak, you mean a garbled hiss through a tiny slit in her barely open mouth, which results in a substantial amount of saliva production. The labor-intensive nature of our evolving conversational misfortunes has added to her general state of bitchiness. The wires jabbing into her gums probably aren't helping. She's run out of wax, so she's not moving her mouth much today. She's probably in pain, but we haven't talked about it yet, and I can't lie around here forever and do nothing. We need to get a handle on what's happening. I tap the side of her jaw with my thumb. Does it hurt? Mm-hmm. I felt her hair slide around on my chest. She had one leg slung over mine. Did you see him at all? Mm-mm. She shook her head no, then took my hand and placed it on the back of her head. He hit you on the back of the head? Mm-mm. She shook her head again and moved my hand to the back of her neck between her shoulder blades. What? Oh, you're back. He came up behind you. Mm-hmm. I felt Carla's body pull away and heard something clatter against what I understood to be the bedside table. There wasn't much by way of furniture in the room, so I was able to get a clear mental map of our digs. Bed, something more than a twin but less than a king, in the center of what amounted to a square box of a room. Two squat wooden bedside tables on either side. The only other furniture is a small round table with two chairs. No TV, and the bathroom is small. Sink, shower, and toilet. The sink comes with an annoying slow drip that's become part of the soundtrack of the room, along with whining pipes, a quiet din of voices from the bar below, which ebbs and flows throughout the day, and a furnace that kicks in angrily ever so often, coughing out bursts of warm air from the two floor vents on either side of the bed. Now Carla's texting me. Mm. My experience with texting is much more pleasant than hers, thanks to the kid. This kid, by the way, is barely a teenager. And in the little time I spent with him, I learned that he's well on his way to becoming a far better person than most humans I interact with on a daily basis. The apps he installed on my phone have proven useful for email or texting. All I have to do is talk into the phone, and my words are magically sent to the receiver. When the response comes, it's read back to me by a voice... I've altered to suit my general disposition. The kid showed me how to go into settings and adjust the speed and tone. Now the apathetic lass who reads my messages sounds irritated by my every intrusion. I picture a bored, overweight housewife with foam curlers in her hair, a Newport pursed between her lips, and when she speaks, cigarette ash dusts the ample bosom that burbles from beneath her hairy cloth robe. Text 
message from Carla. My Newport puffing housewife announced this after taking a long swig of her fruity wine cooler. I tapped a finger in the lower right quadrant of my phone where I knew the text app was. Thanks again to the kid. Uh, the call came a little after I talked to you. The number was private. All the guy said was that he had information about the Reynolds murder. He said to meet him at the Osceola. His voice was kind of deep, but I couldn't tell if it was disguised. It didn't stand out at the time. I had about 30 minutes before we were supposed to meet, so I walked from the Fleabag Hotel. It's only a few blocks. Forgot my phone, which I remembered when I got inside and went to take some pictures of the interior. There's a lot of water damage, and I was going to email some pictures to the contractors who were supposed to come out and look at the place. I'd been there maybe ten minutes, was walking around the first floor rooms, checking things out. I sent something behind me, and I think I started to turn. I guess he knocked me out. Glad they thought to do a talk screen in the ER, because I don't remember anything after that until I woke up at the hospital. Hate to think he hit me hard enough to knock me out that long. Yeah, that's something that kind of pissed me off. A bomb, that's one thing. I can relate to meticulously building a tool and then using that tool to further your devious plan. But the kind of thug who stoops to drugging someone to further their devious plan is a bit ineffectual for my tastes. You want to commit an atrocity? Then commit, dammit. You start injecting drugs into another human to make them easier to control, you've admitted weakness. Carla, as far as I can see, the first problem is agreeing to meet a stranger who called from a private number at an abandoned hotel alone. Did none of those disturbing details ring any warning bells? Are you listening for the bells, Carla? I stood up and felt around for my fuckstick, which was leaning against the wall between the bed and the side table, just where I'd left it. Text message from Carla. I tapped the screen again and heard another lazy no. Stop clicking at me, I'm getting in the shower. my fuck stick against the wall next to the sink, set the phone down on the back of the commode, and tapped the screen. He said you could remove them in two days. It's day three. I stepped out of the only pair of jeans I have with me and turned on the shower. These jeans, by the way, I've been wearing for days, so I assume they can now divest themselves of my person on their own. While I waited for the water to warm up, I picked at the tape near my temple, scratching the irritated skin beneath it. I wanted it off. Couldn't wait to rub my face, not have my hands come in contact with the puffy gauze patches over my eyes. They itched and made me feel claustrophobic. 
Thing is, I wasn't sure I could do it. Wasn't sure if pulling them off and still seeing black after two surgeries to sew my retinas back on was something I could deal with. Because I don't think the doctor has a plan C. What's that? Poughkeepsie? It was like communicating with a cartoon character. I was naked and waving my fuck stick around in front of me, in what felt like the center of the room. The waving was to keep Carla out of my personal space. I'd removed the bandages in the shower, but hadn't yet opened my eyes. So far, nothing looked different. Though I had no way of knowing what the lighting was like in the room. So I couldn't make any deductions about what I should or shouldn't be seeing with my eyes closed. Good to see. It was equally lavished with spit the second time around. Are there lights on in here? What time is it? Uh-huh, it's 7.30. Stop talking, Carla, and wipe your mouth. I think that was no and 7.30, but I don't want confirmation. Don't talk. That sound makes me nauseous. Mm. Don't be rude or no, I can't hold it. She was suddenly moving around the room, patting things down, groaning and moaning, and climbing over the creaky bed, looking for something. Mm. Don't do it. Don't you cut those wires, Carla. Mm. When we checked her out of the emergency room, they'd given Carla a little jaw-wired-shut kit which included, among other things, a small pair of wire cutters. The latter was only to be used in an emergency, and even then, only the two front wires, unless she wanted her jaw somewhere around her knees. They said she'd be wired up a couple of weeks, and we were only a few days in. Her current state of hysteria did not bode well for my mood or her jaw healing. Carla was still frantically moving around the room, and I was afraid she'd find the wire cutters in the dusty bedside drawer where I'd hidden them, after happening across them yesterday morning on the bathroom sink. If they were on the sink, she'd been thinking about it. So I refused to apologize for my treachery. It's for her own good. Carla, stop. I'll open them. Just give me a minute, will you? Mm -mm. Her hasty movement ceased, and I could feel her staring at me. What are you wearing? Nothing. Naked, huh? Mm-hmm. Not an altogether unwelcome post-blindness visual. If fate is inclined to do me a solid on this, the merriest of holidays. I heard the floorboards creak beneath her feet as she padded over and took the fuck stick from me. Oh, her eyes worn out. Are you expecting a Christmas miracle, woman? I pulled her against me, slid my hands down to her ass, and gave it a squeeze for good luck before I opened my eyes. All in all, the event was anticlimactic. What is it? It's funny how the brain instinctively parses out words in situations like this. For instance, my first thought after Carla sprayed me with that question was, Define C. Oh, no. Please don't speak, Carla. I'm mentally summoning my synapses to send out a search party for an answer to that last question. 
Trying to translate your sloppy utterances into something coherent while doing so is slowing the process. Carla took a step back and the mass of molecules in front of me shifted slightly, like a transference of haze. I looked around the room, and by looked, I mean turned my head in a few different directions, each time altering the kaleidoscope of muddy hues in my field of vision. Huge pixels. That's what it was. Big globs of mostly nothingness floating around in more of the same, with subtle changes in tone. Or no? Well, if by sea you mean there's less black and more swamp water brown, yeah, I can see. I blinked my eyes a few times. There was a sense of something, not unlike a camera, trying to focus. A second or two of possible clarity before the next blink brought back the mud. It was an uncomfortable feeling. The mass moved again, and I heard Carla cross the room. Then the sound of a switch flicking. I instantly rose a few feet toward the surface of the swamp water. I could see the gauzy outline of objects, and a bit more discernment of color variables. Large square, probably the bed. Curvy vertical object moving toward me. Probably Carla. Not a lot of definition. Mostly fuzzy shapes melding into shadows which seemed preoccupied with their newfound existence. Ah, that's a little better. I can see shapes anyway, sort of. At least I'll know if something's coming at me once it gets within a foot or two. Hmm. Where's my fucking fuck stick? Hmm. I didn't like the sound of defeat that had crept into my voice, nor did I like how Carla grabbed me around the waist and tried to hug it out. We were naked, standing in the middle of a room that seemed to be getting smaller by the minute, with a meeting looming in front of us that I wasn't looking forward to, and a couple bombs we couldn't account for. I needed a drink, and I'd just finished off the dregs of my last bottle. None of this put me in a very festive mood, but not having my eyes back when I'd sidled up a little too close to Hope wound everything up a little tighter. Not even mute Carla was worth this shit. Let that be a lesson, kids. Hope is absolutely not the thing with feathers. Hope is not delicate. Hope is a rhinoceros squatted over you, and he's feeling kind of frisky. Unlike the famous poem Promises, Hope will gladly fuck you right up the ass, if given half the chance and compelling motivation. All right, fetch me my clothes. And lay off the don't enable the blind guy shit. We need to get our asses in gear. I held out my hands after a flurry of pitter-pattered steps and some rummaging. Clothing items were promptly placed in them. I tugged on my dirty jeans, keening over in the process, saved by the edge of the bed, which offered a feeling of being moored as I leaned against it to get my bearings. Carla presumably set about doing the same thing. Getting dressed, I mean. I assumed this because, what felt like ten minutes later, we were crossing the street toward what I hoped would end with me sitting in front of a stack of pancakes and a double side of bacon. I needed to get some food in me before I procured my next bottle. The bell on the door clattered open and it sounded as busy as breakfast places usually are in small towns, where there's only one place serving breakfast. It had the familiar clink-clatter, chitter-chatter feel, set against all manner of smells one associates with high cholesterol. Once we were seated and our orders taken, Carla slid my phone across the table closer to me and tapped my hand. 
a signal that there was an incoming verbal assault. Don't judge my choice of words. It's always an assault with Carla, particularly where words are concerned, but also feelings and opinions. They all feel like they're being lobbed at you by a big league pitcher whose specialty is the curveball. Don't get me wrong, she's soft on the inside, but on the outside, it's like dancing with a porcupine. I don't want to do this in a restaurant, Carla. Hmm. She knocked on the table between us. If I were under oath, I'd describe the knock as insistent with an undertone of hostility. No. You are fucking pissing me off, Warno. No. Answer. I'm going down on Warno. I had a couple choices, and I took a spell to ponder them. One, I could ignore Carla while she sputtered her pissitude all over the table from whence I was about to break my fast. Two, I could get up and leave, thereby forfeiting my pancakes and bacon. Three, I could answer the goddamn phone. I didn't like any of those choices, and was about to tell her so when the waitress appeared with our food. It smells like breakfast. We'll talk later. I grabbed my phone and felt around for the most important little button the device has, then powered it off. Much groaning and grumbling and even a few unintelligible words followed. And then she kicked me under the table, but I ignored her, smiling happily while shoveling in forkfuls of syrupy, buttery goodness. I'm ashamed to admit that I took pleasure in the sound of Carla slurping her breakfast of orange juice through a straw. One could argue that me flipping my bacon back and forth in front of my face before shoving it into my mouth was a low blow, but one should probably refrain from doing so, given my current mood. I could tell by the differences in temperature between my left and right shoulders that we were seated at a table next to a window. I reached out and touched the glass. Tried to imagine what was out there beyond the murky haze. I was able to discern a car passing the restaurant, but because everything was covered in snow, much of what I saw was washed out. Inside the restaurant, I could blink blink and make out more blobs of color, which I understood to be people moving, but everything had that high-key, low-contrast, fuzzy feel, favored by black-and-white photographers and the crew who lighted Barbara Walters' interview sets. I shoved another forkful in my mouth right before Carla knocked again, only this time on my forehead, which felt rather unseemly. I swallowed the mouthful that had suddenly turned into thick sludge in my throat and oh so fucking gently placed the fork down on my plate. Then I took a deep breath, nails digging into my palms. I blamed the nausea on Carla too. But to be fair, food in general hadn't been kind to my gullet in recent days. Carla, I'm going to say this once because I like you, and then we'll never speak of it again. If you ever, and I mean ever, as in from this moment until you draw your last breath, do that or anything like it again, I will not hesitate to pop you in the nose and gladly catch an assault case to get you out of my goddamn life. Are we clear? 
She didn't answer, but I think she got the message, since we finished our meal in complete silence. There was a trail of acid running up my esophagus and into the back of my throat. I swallowed it down with the dregs of my third cup of coffee. The waitress eventually came over with our check and started to clear the table. I pulled out my billfold and held it out for Carla to rummage through. Then, with the financial portion of our breakfast taken care of, we bundled up and managed to make it out onto the sidewalk without incident. Thing is, I wanted an incident. My fuckstick desperately needed to make contact with something. I swatted around in front of me as Carla took my free elbow and walked us about ten feet to our left, then stopped. Based on what I remembered the front of the restaurant to look like, she'd positioned us a little further down the sidewalk between the windows of the two businesses that flanked us. I felt her reach into my coat pocket, pull out my cell phone, and place it in my palm. Hmm. I powered the phone back on and got an immediate alert. Text message from Carla. I listened to the text, which I probably should have done in the first place to avoid all this uncomfortable tension. Not to mention my squelched rage. But she goes too far. Every goddamn time. My bored housewife informed me that we had an appointment before our meeting with the state police detective. An appointment that can't wait. If we're taking Carla's incessant elbow dragging at its word. Uh-huh. Because that's what she's doing now that I've dropped the phone back into my coat pocket. She's dragging me across the street. And get this. So she doesn't have to spit mumble her warnings. She's taken to slapping me on the outer leg when we're approaching a curb. I cringe just thinking about what we must look like to the residents who are most certainly craning their necks behind every one of the windows on Upton Street right now, all wondering what the redhead and the detective are up to. There's a sort of metaphorical incest to be found in small-town life that's only slightly less disturbing than the literal kind. Sometimes a town is reluctant to give up its ghosts, particularly when those ghosts have been hiding for years. A 30-year-old wound left to fester will undoubtedly begin to smell at some point, and I think it's safe to say that everyone in town knows Carla and I are tracking the stake. <laughs> 